0: Well, good morning, and happy Thanksgiving for those I didn't see before Thanksgiving. It is great to see you this morning. I trust that you have had a great weekend, a great extended weekend, celebrating with family and friends, and we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians as we continue in our study in this great book. We're returning now with the intention... Uh, this is my intention: is to finish up chapter four, and then we will break for uh, the Christmas season. And I'm excited as all those pieces are coming together. We're looking forward to a great season, and I want to encourage you uh, to be here for that. Uh, it'll be a wonderful time as we begin. Not uh, this week, but Lord willing, next. Uh, not next week either, but the week after that. We begin in that Christmas series. And so today, our goal is to spend some time here in 1 Thessalonians 4 and to uh, soak out of all of this text everything that we can in the limited amount of time that we have together. And we begin in verse 9 of chapter 4 as you're preparing for that. And we begin to understand holiness and friendships. And as Scott mentioned, uh, we're kind of trying to squash the whole rivalry thing. Uh, a little bit when it comes to the body of Christ. There's great joy in the battle. If you are from uh, that state south of us, I won't even mention its name, uh, and you went to school in the school from that state, uh, then you probably wouldn't feel as welcome as if you were from Michigan. Uh, this, and maybe, maybe you feel a little better this morning because you actually lost yesterday and so you know, that rivalry exists, does it not? There, there's, a, there's a challenge that is pulled out. I, I enjoy uh, on the IFCA board, we just had our IFCA meetings, and the board members got together, and there's one individual from Ohio State. And there's like six individuals who cheer for Michigan. Well, you can imagine everybody's pulling one direction or another. And me, I'm from Kansas. So we win in basketball. That's just what we do. And there's these rivalries that exist that can divide and they can be fun. Uh, The ones that are fun, we're going to continue to do those, but those that divide, we're going to focus in understanding holiness and friendships. And what does that look like? How does it manifest itself? And how do we then live in a world different than that? And there's an illustration that comes from a military background. General William Westmoreland once was reviewing a platoon of paratroopers in Vietnam. And this was in a, a very hostile environment at a very stressful time in the Battle of Vietnam and the war of Vietnam. And as he went down the line, he asked each of them a question. And you can imagine a general in the face of a paratrooper, and the paratroopers strapped in, ready to jump out the back of an airplane. And the question is, "How do you like jumping, son?" You could imagine, he'd say, oh, I'm riled up, I'm ready to go. And the first one said, I love it, sir. The second one said, again, General Westmoreland said, how do you like jumping? He said to the next. He said, it's the greatest experience of my life, sir. He goes to the third one, he says, how do you like jumping, son? He said, I hate it, sir. General Moreland said, then why do you do it? Because I love to be around guys who love to jump. <laughs> that embodies where we should be as a body of Christ. I remember during COVID and the separation that existed and the divisions that, were ex- that came out of that time. And, and really now I think it's a good time for us to get back into the understanding of what it means to love the brothers in the body of Christ. Love the sisters in the body of Christ. And like this third paratrooper, why do you hate jumping? Because I love to be around people who love to jump. I love to be around the church, and that should be our cry. That is our uh, idea that we focus on this morning, is we love to be around those who love the Lord. And so we need to be here. We need to be in the body of Christ. And that is where Paul begins in verse 9 of First Thessalonians. He says this, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Let us ask the Lord's blessing on our time and his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you, thankful that there is something that happens in the life of believers that is distinct and different from those who are outside of the fellowship of the church. Lord, we want to be as this third paratrooper. We don't want to be divided. We don't want to leave here. We don't want to leave the fellowship because we love to be with those who love to be Christians. Lord, may we live that example out. May we in our testimony, in our words, in our deeds, in our fellowship together this morning, be those who come alongside and strengthen those who are weak, who comfort those who grieve, who celebrate with those who find happiness and joy. Lord, we want to be a body of believers who takes care of and mends and tends the needs of each and every other individual within the body of Christ. And we pray that an outside world would begin to notice our brotherly love for one another. We thank you for the example of the Thessalonian church, and that is indeed what we see in them. That not only did other believers see them, but other believers in other places saw them. And even the ungodly, those who were outside, who were in the pagan circles of those in Thessalonica, began to notice there was a difference in those in the church. So Lord, on this Thanksgiving weekend, we celebrate a great week that has led up to this, the opportunities to be with family, to celebrate to give thanks to you for your goodness to us, to keep you as the center of that focus. And now we pray that as we move from that, we would be reminded of the great joy of being together in the body of Christ, That your name would be glorified in all that is spoken. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts. It's easy for us after the celebrations, the feasting, and all that we have done this week, it's easy for us to be thinking about this next week ahead, uh, to be thinking about perhaps travel that needs to be done, to travel home or Uh, travel that needs to be done to visit family or all the arrangements and the preparations that need to be done uh, for whatever other events will begin this week. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our attentions and our minds would be set to your word, that you would be glorified, that you would be worshiped, and that we would be living sacrifices before you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the time we can spend in your word now. We ask that you would bless it, use it for your glory and for our good. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we begin this morning, we're going to recognize how necessary, it's a command, to love one another. And as Paul begins this command, there's significant instruction for us as we are to be those who practice this kind of love. We are to be those who understand what this kind of love is, and there's a significant shift. Now, we took a break for Thanksgiving, but two weeks ago, we were moving our way through the text, and we were dealing with the critical... And a somewhat touchy text, somewhat difficult text of all that had come before this and the sexual immorality and the call to abstain from that, that that is the will of God, that we be sanctified, living holy lives and sexually pure lives as believers. And so there's a heaviness that comes with that discussion. And as soon as we turn over to verse 9, there's a different tone. You can sense it change when Paul says this in verse 9, now concerning brotherly love. He hasn't spoken of brotherly love for several verses. But now he jumps right back into it and he says, now concerning this, there is a clear change in tone when Paul changes from the previous topic of purity and our sexual uh, relationships to now brotherly love. And it is important for you and I to understand this. Brotherly love should be the hallmark of every believer. You say, well, I, I really, yesterday I was at a Cabela's. I don't shop on Black Friday. And I would expect that those who do shop only on Black Friday, not on whatever Saturday follows Black Friday. But I was wrong. They all showed up at Cabela's yesterday. And there's no way to get into the parking lot. And I drive a relatively big vehicle. There's no way to get into the parking lot. And people are exceptionally rude during this time of the year. I just wanted a couple of few things in Cabela's because I thought nobody would be there. But the store was full and I left there and I looked down at one of my sons who was with me. And I said, I need to get away from people for a while. Do you ever feel like that during this time of the season? (laughs) Some of you are like, amen, yes. Uh, I am not charged by Black Friday crowds. I am uh, discharged uh, by Black Friday crowds. And so I don't do them. And yesterday I just ran in, thought I'd be there for just a minute and come back out. Uh, The feelings that I had were not brotherly love. They were the opposite of that. But Paul says... That brotherly love should be the hallmark of every believer, as it was in the church of Thessalonica. There is something different between the Black Friday crowd and the church crowd. There should be an expression of difference, or a difference of expression. Excuse me, between what we encounter when we're shopping and what we encounter in the world that surrounds the body of Christ. So there's an instant attitude change when we walk into the fellowship of another believer. We may be after whatever it is we're after in the store, and we may have plans out how we're going to do that, and you enter into the store, and your brotherly love is challenged instantly. In the body of Christ, we should be encouraged and strengthened and emboldened in the body because of brotherly love. Paul seems, as he comes to this point, uh, he has some instructions for them on sexual purity and the necessity that it is, the holiness in the Christian's life. and, And the world speaks of their sexual indiscretions as if they're prideful about it. And Paul says, may it not be that way in the church. May you be those who practice sexual fidelity, holiness in all elements of your life, and that's where he was last week. Now, he seems to be saying, I am commending you, church at Thessalonica, for your brotherly love. You have loved one another well in the body of Christ. For us, we need to understand the dynamic change that has taken place in the life of these faithful church members, because as Paul is commending them, it's almost in the same breath that he's urging them forward, and he's doing the same for you and I. Whenever the gospel penetrates a group of people, their behavior changes. This term for brotherly love was originally the love that is between siblings, a brother to another brother, or a brother to a sister, and so forth, and in a proper relationship, that love that takes place there. Sometimes it's a, a little antagonistic. Sometimes it's a little uh, convicting, sometimes there's some uh, mild rivalries there, but there is to be a true love for each other. That term that was used in that brotherly love was that familial kind of love between siblings in the household, that's what it was originally used for. By the time of Paul's usage and Paul's specific usage in this text is he's referring to now not the immediate family, but the family of God. So those who know Christ as Savior have been brought in as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, and that familial love is now the love that is to be expressed between siblings in the church, those who are fellow believers in Jesus Christ. You are now brothers and sisters, and so it would come to mean the love that is expressed and experienced between fellow members of the church. Love, as we understand it, as we know it from the pages of Scripture, is a characteristic that follows after the Lord's example, His attributes. It is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit's work in believers' lives, and it is manifested in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. So this is something that takes place the moment you come to know Christ as Savior, you view Christians differently. You view the family of God differently. At least you ought to. And we certainly see that happen in Thessalonica. Remember in Thessalonica, they're in the shadow of Mount Olympus, and there's all kinds of pagan practices and worship that is there, and it's all disjointed. Everybody's united together because of Mount Olympus and the Greek pantheon and the pagan system that it was. There is some unity that is there, but it is not a strong, lasting, brotherly love. And so when the Thessalonican church begins and a few of their number come to know Christ as Savior and then more and more begin to know Christ as Savior, something's different about this group. It's the same difference we saw in Jerusalem when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. There's something different about that group. And it's the same difference about what is happening here in our group, in our fellowship. There's something different when a body of believers is together. There's something different when the family of God is assembled. And Paul says to the Thessalonian church, no one has any reason to write to you about brotherly love. You're doing a great job, except keep going. Keep going. And it is important to understand the way that it keeps going is that it's touching the lives of people. The impact of their brotherly love was not limited To the group of close friends. Notice what he says here again in verse 9 of chapter 4. He says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. It's fascinating to me that Paul says it's not enough to love your clique. There's no such thing in the body of Christ as a clique. We make it on our own design, so there are those that exist, but when it comes to brotherly love and its impact, it destroys the clique, and it opens up that clique to the entire body of Christ. And so you can be in places around the world where you encounter just one other believer who goes to a different local fellowship, who is an actual believer, and there is an instant camaraderie with them. I've been in places like Jerusalem and Hong Kong and Indonesia. Those folks that I meet there have not been in our fellowship, but as soon as you are in their fellowship, you feel an instant connection that is brotherly love that is in the body of Christ. You can tell it when somebody is serving you. You can go to a restaurant and the waitress or waiter who's serving you, you say, there's something different about this individual. Several years ago, Les Lofquist and I were actually in a restaurant together, and we were in Atlanta, and we were eating at the airport. We were waiting for others to arrive, and we'd be leaving together, and so we were in a restaurant there, and the waitress came up, and her personality and everything, and Les and I got to talking, and I said, you know, I think she knows Christ. He goes, well, let's find out. (laughs) So she comes the next time, and he says, are you by chance a Christian? And she just opened all the way up. Yes, she was, and truly knew the Lord as Savior. There's something different about those interactions. Brotherly love destroys the clique. You should not have in the body of Christ a group over here, and a group over here, and a group over here, and a group over here. here. In the body of Christ, the brotherly love is not limited to one person. It's not limited to one clique. It's not limited to one church or even one city. The church in Thessalonica was reaching beyond its walls. It was reaching beyond its influences and even its city to reach all of Macedonia. So it wasn't as if each believer had their sphere of influence and they were brotherly love inside of that sphere. They were reaching all of Macedonia. That means that the church at Philippi had heard about the love, the brotherly love of the Thessalonian believers and vice versa. And they were loving one another in that. Consider the kind of impact that this has as we love one another on those who do not understand it. Your unbelieving friends, when they see that you have prioritized the body of Christ above everything else, at least in their view, in their spectrum, and say, why, why would you go to church when you could watch the football game on Sunday morning? Or the one being played over in Europe? or the, why, would you, why would you go to church on Sunday night Why would you do this event? Why would you spend time with believers when you could be over here or over there? There's something different, and the outside world notices the difference between the actions of believers and the actions of unbelievers. They may not understand it, but they notice it. And so Paul says to the church, let us love one another in this brotherly love that expands out, that touches into people's lives, that impacts them. And that is always increasing. Believer, don't assume that you've arrived. You may be sitting here and saying, yeah, 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 I, I know. Do not assume you've arrived. Notice what Paul says in verse 9, he says, or verse 10. He says, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. You cannot exhaust the full ramifications of brotherly love. It's not possible. And the pursuit of that and the pursuit of understanding brotherly love and its full ramifications will lead to spiritual maturity. And so Paul is going to open that up for us in just a moment, but Paul's admonition to keep going seems to have been followed by the Thessalonian church. They seem to have listened. In fact, turn over to first or rather 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verse 3, and notice what Paul has to say to the church in his second letter. He says in 2 Thessalonians 1:3, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because, listen, your faith is growing abundantly, and your love of every one of you for one another is increasing. It says, Your love for one another is growing. But back in 1 Thessalonians, he said, no one has any reason to write to you of your brotherly love except keep going. And in 2 Thessalonians, he says, it's been evident and clear that you've kept going. What an amazing statement of obedience of this church in Thessalonica. If Paul were to write that to us, would that be the same response that we would receive in our second letter over our first letter? Grow in your brotherly love for one another. There's all kinds of reasons to be divided in the body of Christ. There's all kinds of reasons. The What we saw recently and just a couple years ago was one's response to COVID, and then one's response to vaccines, and then one's response to follow after that with the next divisions. Then we get into politics, and then we get into weather, and then we get into sports, and we get into social media, and we get into Uh, all other articles of news, and now we get into the war in Israel and all of the things that are going on. There's all kinds of potential divisions that may exist, but there's something different about a brother's love for one another. Those differences may exist, but because of the Spirit of God, you do not let them dictate the direction and the course of the body of Christ. Paul says the Thessalonian believers you have done well in your brotherly love now keep going don't believe you have arrived believer after all the last three four years of heartache that has been within the church because of divisions that have existed in the response to COVID and everything that's followed that don't let those things dictate your fellowship with other believers there's reasons For us not to fellowship with other believers, those who may know Christ as Savior, and those are doctrinal differences, but let us be those who over differences like what we have experienced over the last four years to not be divided over those issues, but to be increasing and to listen to what Paul has said to the Thessalonian church to increase. Believer, it is critical that we must never feel we have arrived just because the group that we are around seems to agree with us. Let us not believe we've arrived. Let us recognize and always demonstrate brotherly love to those in your influence and beyond. May it be abundantly apparent as you fellowship together today after the morning service and every morning after the morning service and every time you meet each other in the store when you're shopping, every time you see each other in the restaurant, that there would be a warm brotherly love for each other. Whether you have likenesses and similarities or not, don't let those be what dictates the expression of brotherly love. Every time you meet a believer, express Christ-like, Holy Spirit-infused love to one another. There's a purpose to it. There's a reason. Because increasing in our brotherly love is to advance the Christian journey and the Christian walk. And Paul looks ahead to that in verses 11 through 12 where we're about to go. Brotherly love now gives way, uh, love now gives way uh, to a good, healthy Christian lifestyle. And Paul says, live to please God. Notice what he says. He doesn't even really pause. I paused. The ESV has a comma here because it's still in the same sentence. Still in the same sentence. Verse 11 says, and to aspire to live quietly... To mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. And again, notice the comma. He's still going after verse eleven. First, we must be those who have a, an honorable, a healthy ambition. And Paul shifts from brotherly love, but he continues in that theme, because brotherly love and living to please God are in the same vein. You cannot have brotherly love and live to please you. Doesn't happen. In fact, That's when brotherly love breaks down. You want proof of that? Watch two young children fighting over the same toy. Brotherly love breaks down when you esteem yourself. What We as Christians and adults, uh, those who are growing, who are more mature in Christ, we should not be as the two and four-year-old who are fighting over the uh, little toy. We must be those who... Cast aside selfish ambition, growing in a life to please God. In order to do that, we have to have brotherly love, and we have to have some aspiration to follow after the things of the Lord. Paul shifts again from brotherly love to another outgrowth of the Spirit's work in us. And as before, in Second Thessalonians, we recognize in verse 1-3, as we read a moment ago, that the believers in Thessalonica listened carefully. Because Paul says in the middle of that verse, your faith is growing abundantly. So not only did their love for one another increase, but their faith increased as well. Those two go hand in hand. You say, well, I'm not growing much in the Christian faith. Then show me your brotherly love. Show me your brotherly love. I spent a number of years in the state of Missouri, and their statement is show me. It's a show me state. Show me your brotherly love. You say, well, I'm just not growing in faith, and it's someone else's fault. Show me your love. Show me your love. Show me your love for one another. True, authentic love, and then show me that you're not pursuing after your own pleasures, but the pleasures of God. Paul says, live to please God. And in order to do that, we must have a healthy ambition. Brotherly love may stay strong. In fact, you may actually have brotherly love, but over time, it's possible that your ambition would begin to deteriorate. Well, I'm just not as enthusiastic anymore. I still love the brothers, but I'm just not enthusiastic anymore. I'm just not enthusiastic with zeal to follow after the things that God wants me to do. I've been hurt by the church. I've, been, uh, I've had these kinds of experiences and those kinds of experiences, and you just simply don't understand. So I'm just going to let my ambition, my aspiration begin to deteriorate. Beloved, those things are very real, and they do impact but Paul doesn't give us the excuse. What a critical reminder for believers as Paul urges the church to aspire. We may be tempted to look at others believing that they have lost their zeal. Say, well, see, they're, they're losing their zeal. When in actuality, we ourselves may have weakened in our aspirations our honorable ambitions to the things of the Lord. Aspiration within the Christian life requires a disciplined daily walk with God. Let me say that again because it's critically important we understand it. Aspiration is one of those things that begins to really work in us to practice brotherly love. And aspiration in the Christian life requires a disciplined daily walk with Christ. It must be disciplined. You cannot have increasing aspiration, honorable aspiration in the Christian journey without a disciplined daily walk with your Savior. And that requires, Paul's going to help us with this. He's going to help us understand what this looks like. This is more than just, yeah, I did my five-minute devotional this morning, or I did my ten-minute devotional this morning. It's more than that. Notice what Paul says. We must be those who walk with integrity. Who walk with integrity. There we go. Who walk with integrity. Notice what he digs into. There's three elements of this that we're going to also, it's in your notes as well that you're going to see after Paul's instruction for healthy ambition we should be convicted of our diminished honorable aspirations or ambitions and so Paul says walk with integrity and in order to do that we must first be at peace in the lord notice what he says as we continue in verse 11 he says and to aspire and this is how we inspire to live quietly that's the first one peace in the lord to live quietly Means to live at peace. This reminds us, this phrase reminds us of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, where the scripture says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That is the pursuit. We understand the will of God. We, we have two examples of what is the will of God. We understood those. Uh, we looked at the list of those a week ago or a couple of weeks ago, understanding what the will of God is for you. The one we've seen in chapter 4 is that it is the will of God for you to have sanctification, to be sanctified. And Paul starts out by saying that that is through uh, the abstinence of sexual or to abstain from sexual immorality. That is all things that would be classified there. Anything that goes against God's design is sexual immorality. And Paul says flee from that, abstain from that. As he comes to the end of the chapter, he's reminding us to live peaceably or to live quietly to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord the writer of Hebrews 12 says this is a life to live this way is a life that is to be free from unnecessary contention that isn't that important in brotherly love you know that individual who's constantly prodding And this is something that siblings can do. Siblings know how to push the right buttons to get you riled up, right? I have siblings. I have younger siblings, so I never did it to them, but they did it to me. (laughs) They know the right buttons to push. They know exactly how to get right under the skin. That's not what we should be doing in brotherly love. But we kind of know how to do that in the body of Christ, too. We know... That this person's struggling with this or this person is sensitive to that. And so we're going to push just a little bit if we're kind of like, let's just get some separation here. We're going to push. We're going to know the buttons to push. We must be free from unnecessary contention. Why do we debate the things we debate? Why do we have disagreements over some of the things that we have disagreements over? It's not always humanly possible, mind you. It's not always humanly possible to avoid contention. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying flee from contention. He's saying run from the convention, uh, uh, the, the challenges, the contentions that exist that are unnecessary. Flee from those contentions. When you hear two people talking about a contentious issue that's a non biblical issue or an amoral issue, that isn't something that we really should be investigating. And in. don't jump in and take sides. Don't jump in and try to resolve it. Let's live a life free from unnecessary contention. Godliness must be lived out in our response, and that's what it means to live with peace in the Lord. Follow those things that lead to peace. Unnecessary contentions removed following after the things of the Lord. That is our first element towards aspiration, to honorable aspirations. And isn't it fascinating how destructive and time-consuming and energy-zapping contentions are? Have you ever engaged in a contentious discussion with somebody and you just walk away from that and you're like, I'm just exhausted. And the more exhausted I get, the more I want to fight. And the more I want to bring up this area in this area in this area, Paul says that if you are to pursue honorable ambitions, if you are to live to please God, you will avoid the unnecessary contentions. He also says in the next statement <clears throat> that you'll protect privacy. In other words, you're not going to be a gossip. Verse uh, 11 again says this, uh, that we are to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs mind your own affairs. These are quick checklist kinds of things. Mind your own affairs. This phrase is intended to refer to people who were busybodies and meddlers who had time to interfere with other people's lives. But the time that they had to interfere in other people's lives was time taken away from uh, resolving the issues that needed to be resolved in their own life, to get their own business in order. And so they were over here meddling when their business was collapsing, was falling apart, Some people feel, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, some people feel it is their spiritual gift to criticize. There is no such spiritual gift. Paul doesn't mince words here. Our aspiration for Christ's likeness is negatively impacted when we neglect the log in our own eye for the splinter in the eye of somebody else. Let us not be busybodies and meddlers constantly in somebody else's business when we have a significant problem that needs to be resolved. If you want to live to please God, if you want to live in brotherly love, if you want to be non-contentious, then be one who practices privacy, dealing with your issues first, and gently, lovingly, encouragingly, Helping another brother along in their struggles. That's discipleship instead of criticism. You do not have the spiritual gift of criticism. You have the responsibility of discernment. You have the responsibility of discipleship. You have the responsibility of brotherly love towards one another, but not criticism. But not criticism. We also must be those who practice hard work. We must be those who practice hard work. In a Greek culture, there is a similarity uh, to the way our culture is changing, because the Greek culture looked down on manual hard labor. If you wore the whitest robes, and you kind of stayed out of the affairs of the lowly, you know, those who built Buildings and those who paved roads and those who took care of the horses and the chariots, those were on the lower echelons. Those who took care of the sheep were of the lowest. Why would you do manual hard work when you could be as one of the elders in the gates of the city? That's how Greek culture looked at it. But notice what Paul says. He says, verse 11, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Believer, you must be practicing hard work. Paul, while Greek culture diminishes hard work, Paul exalts hard work with your hands. He lifts it up. He says, this is good. In fact, Christian, you should be the hardest and best working individual at your workplace. The Christian should be those that ungodly employers say, I don't know why, I don't know what it is about them, but they are great employees. I don't have any problems with them. They're hardworking. Part of the reason that we have to be that way is because what we believe will fly in the face of what the secular world believes. And so we will have to make stands that say, we cannot cross this line. But when it comes to hard work, when it comes to loyalty, when it comes to diligence, the Christian must be the best employee at the workplace. Not not engaged in gossip, not consumed by all the drama that exists. You may not have the greatest talents in your workplace, but no one should be more trustworthy, no one should be more dedicated than you who serves the Lord by working hard for your employer. That should be your characteristic. And that emboldens brotherly love in the body of Christ, even though that's taking place outside of the body of Christ. Because if you're diligent in hard work with your employer, you'll be diligent in hard work in the body of Christ as well. And Paul says it is necessary, if we are to live to please God, it is necessary that we honorably aspire to the things that please God which requires us to practice these three elements peace in the Lord protect privacy and practice hard work Paul had already instructed the church with these commands he'd already told them to do this and so they're faithful in doing it Paul says do it all the more you and I must listen to that instruction as well may we do it all the more and again there's a reason so we have this practice of brotherly love. Paul could have left it there and say, you should be practicing brotherly love and you need to be increasing all the more. He says, you're doing it, but keep going. He could have gone on and gone to the end of the chapter and concluded the chapter. But instead he goes on with the aspire. Believer, aspire. Take brotherly love and grow Grow in it by aspiring the honorable things that please the Lord and practice these three elements we just saw so that you may be one who impacts the world. Learn to impact those around you. Verse 12. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. It's fascinating that the life in the church it's not told to stay the life in the church. Paul does not say, practice brotherly love when you get together, and only when you get together. Paul says, practice brotherly love so that when you go outside of these walls, you live like a Christian. You live like one who follows Christ. But you don't live like the world lives, because the world is watching. The outsiders are watching. The purpose of holiness in the believer's life and putting these words of instruction into practice is so that you and I would walk worthy. That's where Paul starts the chapter. Go back all the way to the beginning of chapter 4. Because Paul has been all in this instruction for us. uh, Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how You ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Paul has taken us all the way back to the beginning of chapter 4, and he's built upon what he's taught us and taught the church in Thessalonica, and this is built on the prayers that we studied in the first half. What Paul has prayed for the church in Thessalonica, he's now commanding the church at Thessalonica that they would do these things and to increase in them more and more. And so when Paul says that these words of instruction are to encourage you to walk, to practice a worthy walk, he's already mentioned that thing. He's mentioned it in chapter 4, verse 1 that we just read, and he mentioned it in chapter 2, verse 12. You as a believer in Jesus Christ have a responsibility to walk as a follower Of Jesus Christ you must walk differently than the unbelieving world to please God we must pay attention how we walk inside the church but we also must pay attention how we walk outside the church we must live as lights in a dark world shining brightly for the things of Christ To please God means we must pay attention to how we walk with those who know Christ as Savior and those who do not know Christ as Savior. The question is do you have a good testimony testimony with those outside the church? If someone were to ask your neighbor, what do you think about you? How do they live? And I'm not worried about how well you keep your grass. I'm not worried about how nice the house looks on the outside. What what the Lord is worried about is how faithful are you to the things of the word of God? Do you live diligently? Do you live faithfully for the gospel's sake? It matters. And the way that we start and the way that we practice and grow in brotherly love is here in the body of Christ. And then finally, we are to live to be missed. There's a couple ways we could take this final phrase. And I don't think there's, of those two ways, I don't think there's a bad choice. But when he says this, so that you are to walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The idea is, I believe, one of the two of those suggestions, one of those possibilities, is that we are to live so that others depend on you, not you on them. Be dependable, not one who depends on others. What does that mean? Some have taken, there's an unbiblical way to look at it, so let me address that. Some have taken... This last portion of verse 12 is a promise of material possessions. Kind of a name it, claim it kind of thing. Health, wealth, and prosperity. For those who obey the Scriptures, uh, they're going to get more possessions. And the only way that works is with preachers who distort the Scriptures. That's the only way that works. That's not what's being said here at all. It says that you may have material possessions, and that's not what it's saying. The Christian who lives... Rather than that, the Christian who lives with honorable aspiration and integrity lives a disciplined life because an undisciplined life would have been shame and a contradiction to the gospel. And so they live disciplined lives for the glory of God in their neighborhoods so that their neighborhood goes, Wow, he or she is a good neighbor. They would share the gospel with me, which I didn't care for, but he or she was a good neighbor. The brightest testimony to the power of God is displayed by the one with honorable aspirations, an industrious walk, and an independent life. May you have that pattern in abundance. May this be your characteristics as you begin to live and abound in brotherly love all the more. And We have the great opportunity to start in just a few moments where we fellowship together, putting brotherly love into practice. May you be found faithful in doing that. Paul then makes a turn, and he comes into one of the greatest theological portions of the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to try to deal with all of it, Lord willing, next week, beginning from verse 13, going through the end of the chapter. It's a lengthy section, one that's very uh, detailed for us, very important for us in theological perspective, but also in the practical personal aspects. Why should we live lives to please God? Because one day soon, Christ is going to return for his church. Let us be those who are ready. Let us be those who are ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb when Christ returns for his bride. Let me close our time in the word of God and a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful for the privilege of being found as those who can practice genuinely and authentically brotherly love. Lord, there's a great urge for us to take care of ourselves, to make sure that others are aware of our needs or to conceal those needs so that others would not know those that we may view as weaknesses. Lord, I pray that as a body of Christ, we would be found bold and faithful before you, giving you the glory and the honor that is due you and you alone, and that a significant element of that would be that we be found faithful as living sacrifices, living out brotherly love. Lord, we have just experienced a very divisive age, whether it be in the church or outside of the church. There's many reasons why divisions exist. We see those divisive things having divided fellowships, they've divided families. This has been a time of great division. But I pray that we as a church body would understand and learn how to be faithful in brotherly love towards one another allowing there for differences and disagreements to exist when they're in their proper form, but that we would also be those who would boldly and passionately stay to the work of making sure, minding our own affairs, walking humbly and quietly before an outside world and the world inside the church and working hard so that we would be found faithful before you. Lord, we praise you for Paul's instruction to the church that it was listened to by the Thessalonian church. Or this gives us encouragement as well because we look around us and we see the things that exist and we want to be different from even the churches that we see around us. We want to be found faithful. And so, Lord, we desire with great zeal to be those who increase in our brotherly love. And having the testimony of the Thessalonian church, practicing that is great encouragement to us pray that we would follow their example and that what is said of them in the second letter that Paul writes could be said of us, that we're increasing in our faith and abounding in our brotherly love towards one another. Lord, this is a great opportunity that we have over the next hour or so to fellowship together, to encourage one another, to spend time in your word in our adult Bible fellowship classes. I pray that we would do all of these with a zeal to be found faithful in holy ambition and aspiration following after you for your glory and for our good. Lord, I pray that we would start now as we raise our voices in song before you, that your name would be glorified in our response to your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.